0: Welcome to Replay Value, the podcast that deep dives into the films we love and tries to figure out why we find ourselves watching the same things over and over again. I'm your host Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. Today we'll be talking about Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope. Yeah, of course.
1: Now,
0: Ladies and gentlemen, John Williams. We had to do this episode for episode four, did we not, Warren? I mean, come on.
1: Yes, thanks, John Williams, for that intro. George Lucas's epic space western launched one of the most successful film franchises ever, and I think we can both agree, considered to be one of the most important films in the history of cinema and of course a childhood favorite of both of ours.
0: Yeah. And Warren, I know it was a childhood favorite of both of ours, but it's been a a favorite of mine, my entire life. I would venture to say that I have forgotten more about star Wars than you've ever known about star Wars. And that's, I'm not trying to diss your knowledge, but I'm just saying this is my jam. Star Wars is my shit. So I think I'm going to put you a little bit of disadvantage here. And, uh, and that's, I just love this movie so much, and uh, I'm super excited to be doing this episode. Um, so to kick things off, let's get into the talking of the production of the episode, how it came to be. um you know obviously, there's a lot of history to this film, so uh, Warren, uh, what did you dig up about this movie?
1: Well, you know, and I, I do know this is uh, i'm I'm probably overly matched for this episode. You are a star Wars. Uh, expert uh you you know way more about it than i do i am a fan how but but you are uh, hardcore dark dark night was my jam star wars is definitely yours um as far as how the movie came to be it all starts with none other than george lucas um 33 years old at the time that you know he was a writer and director star wars was his third film
0: See, so he had had uh, american graffiti and THX, uh, THX, was that one one three eight? Was that am I Yeah, saying? that's okay, right, right, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And the THX one one three eight, you know, it had a a bleak tone and really wasn't a successful film. And as a result, uh, George Lucas chose to make Star Wars a positive, wholesome, fun movie, you know, to watch that has heroes and villains.
0: Yeah, and the the original script he had for Star Wars, and correct me if I'm wrong here it was over 200 pages. He wrote it over the course of a couple of years.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. He wrote it in his home in Northern California. I mean, he wrote it up until March, 1976 when they started shooting. So there were numerous numerous drafts and, you know, Lucas has always been one to kind of go back and rework things. I think we've even seen with the re-release of this movie.
0: Yeah. And there was actually like, he was reworking and retooling the script as they were shooting the movie. Um, so, um, the thing is it's like you know Warren, obviously you know this but 200 pages is not a viable length for a movie script they're typically much shorter than that so what's kind of cool is he didn't want to give up the that material and he said that you know, if, if he got the opportunity, he would come back and he actually ended up using that for the rest of the saga. A lot of those same elements he had from, from the get go.
1: I've even heard him say that he intended for the three films really to be one movie, but you can't make them in that format. So it was broken into three and he just kind of wrote it as he went. And as you said, kept the best ideas discarded others uh, throughout the production of the trilogy and, you know, really a huge inspiration for George Lucas uh, in, 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 this had some personal touch for him too. And I think some of the best filmmakers when they make their best movies, they have a, 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 there's a personal fabric to the film in terms of the inspiration for it. And, you know, he grew up watching a lot of those old TV shows, Westerns, you know, Flash Gordon. And so he really wanted it to have that universal spirit of romance and adventure, you know, a harken back to those shows he grew up watching as a kid. Um, and he actually really originally wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie, almost bought the rights. Lucas, researched Alex Raymond's, that's the writer of Flash Gordon, uh, inspirations for Flash Gordon, and a lot of them came from the works of author Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, the author of Tarzan, and specifically uh, the John Mars book series. And all this led Lucas to wanting a hero that battles against space creatures and having adventures on other planets, which Gordon lacked. Um, so like you said, the script had a bunch of different versions, and Lucas had gotten a two-picture deal with United Artists after THX 1138, but everyone, after he wrote the initial drafts and the outlines of Star Wars, all the studios passed, including United Artists, who had a first look, Universal, before Fox finally decided uh, to make it.
0: And it's kind of crazy, you always hear about this, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, knowing the history of it now, how could these studios possibly pass this up? It's like hearing about record executives that passed up on the Beatles, it's just like they're kicking themselves in the ass right now, but... I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. There was no way to know that it was going to become as huge as it still is today. And uh, oddly enough, Lucas, even when he got the you know the green light to make the film, he was still battling to meet a certain budget. You know, he wanted, I think, to he wanted thirteen million dollars, which is crazy to think about today.
1: And Fox only approved eight point two five million, so they really capped him on that.
0: Yeah, but he ended up making it for 13 anyway, and they, they just didn't understand what they had on their hands. But going back to the script, um, you know, we talked about it was 200 pages. It became the rest of the saga, and he ended up just using the first act of his essential epic space western. Um, he used the first act as this film, and when it hit the theaters, he wanted to put episode four uh, in the title crawl that you see at the beginning, but the studio next to that idea because you didn't know if there was going to be another one it's episode four would have confused audiences so mm. at, at the time it you know, just said star wars at the beginning and then the episode four was added in later uh once the film uh became as successful as it was
1: i remember that confusing me as a kid it's funny you mentioned that i remember as a kid episode four but that's the first one so
0: yeah but he did have an idea because there and, and we may get into this later but um you know, there's some references in the movie as as when, you know, Darth Vader meets Obi-Wan, he's like, ah, you know, we meet again, the student becomes the master, whatever. It's like referencing a history there. But at the time you didn't know what that was. And of course, episodes one through three wouldn't be made until decades later. But, um, there was some, some liberties he had to take with the story being that this was the first episode. Typically you can't make a movie about the first act of a story. So he did take some liberties as far as, um, the climax with the Death Star blowing up at the end spoiler alert, uh with the Death Star blowing <laughs> <laughs> blowing up at the end of the movie. He originally that was at the end of, you know, the the play itself or the the script itself, but he wanted to have that type of climax in this film to make it work. Which it's kind of weird because at the end of Jedi, the third film obviously, you you get another Death Star. So I, I wonder if he's just like, man, eh, fuck it, you know we all make it work, but originally it was just supposed to be the initial death, one Death Star at the end of the whole thing, but, you
1: know. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Terminator, you know, they come out with the T-1000 after the T-800, so you can almost look like the Death Star in Return of the Jedi is just an improved version and play upon the initial one in A New Hope.
0: Yeah. Was it, though? <laughs> I mean, they really didn't <laughs> do a very good job. I thought it
1: was. I thought it was supposed to be better.
0: Yeah, well, they didn't. To be, to be fair, the Empire hadn't finished it yet at the end of Jedi. It was still unfinished, so.
1: And speaking of Death Star... It's really, you can't talk about the production of this movie without talking about the iconic design elements. And just throughout the story and even the design pieces of this movie, um, some of the most influential concepts and designs in film history, you could really argue the most influential. I mean, the Millennium Falcon.
0: I mean, you see it in movies, uh, even today, like the movie Ready Player One that came out. We'll get to the influences later, but just real quick. They talk about, you know, in Ready Player One, it's like, oh, you can get a, a Millennium Falcon, and it's like the coolest thing ever. It's, so it's something, that iconic spaceship that, you know, like you said, it's just, I mean, for something to be still cool-looking and have that type of reputation 40-plus years later.
1: Yeah, and, well, George Lucas, really, you got to hand it to him. When he made this movie, he got Colin Catwell who was the uh, designer from 2001 Space Odyssey, the art designer, to design for this film. So you really, they brought in some great hands to work on this. Uh, in fact, uh, th- throughout the different departments in production, Kubrick, or excuse me, uh, George Lucas was constantly trying to recruit from people who had worked on Stanley Kubrick films, uh, Colin Catwell being that in the uh, art design. Yeah,
0: and he did talk about, you know, Lucas he mentions that, of course, he, he makes no effort to hide it, that, He was heavily influenced by 2001 A Space Odyssey by Kubrick and what he had done. And this, of course, you know, both are in space. This is definitely a pivot away from 2001. Um, But the elements as far as that feeling of realism and the design and the iconic imagery and uh, props definitely, definitely is carried over into this movie. And again, it's things that are,
1: well, they're fascinating because at that time you haven't, there hadn't been a lot of space movies. You're like, Oh my God, that's, that's what a spaceship would look like. I mean, I, it it just blew your mind when you saw the millennium Falcon, it was the coolest spaceship you'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's like a Corvette in space. It's so, it's like, no, a Porsche. I mean, it's so amazing. Uh, just, it's just a sexy spaceship and, um, everyone loves the millennium Falcon. And then of course you have lightsabers in this movie. Um, I mean, we've all, how many of us have all pretended to have battles with other objects, lightsaber battles? I mean, Yeah,
0: that, that is probably the most iconic thing in Star Wars is the lightsaber, or as George Lucas sometimes calls it, a fucking laser sword, which makes me cringe every time I hear him call it that. But, I mean, he's the creator of, I mean, he can call it whatever he wants. But something real cool I want to talk about, the lightsaber, just because it's so iconic, is that the you know, producer, people that make the movie, that they, they get asked a lot, um, you know, how, how did you all make the lightsabers? Like, how did they make it look? And it's just a, an animation technique that is pretty commonly used and pretty easy, easily uh, emulated today in a lot of, you know, parodies or fan films or whatnot. But back in 1977, when they were making the film, George Lucas actually wanted to have some sort of um, complex uh, projector method to where it made it look like the uh, the actor was holding a real live, you know, laser sword, if you will. And it, it, it didn't work, so they ended up having to fix it in post. But really what I want to talk about is the, the, the thing with the sound of the lightsaber. Um, I don't know if you if you knew this, Warren, but, or if you, you came across it in your research there, but Ben Burt, the sound designer on the first, first film, uh, he went to film school at USC, and he would sit and listen to the really old projectors that they had and he said that the hum of them was almost musical and so he took that sound and kind of I guess uh Made it a little more menacing by getting feedback from a microphone that was having interference with a television. Mixed that together to create the iconic lightsaber sound that we have now. So,
1: oh man, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, just like the
1: yeah, and, and this movie's littered with instances like that because you got to realize this. You know, 1977. This is before you know the CGI that we have today, where you can literally do anything on screen. And even we talked about the Millennium Falcon, and the Death Star a few moments ago. They did that with models, extensive. Model work in front of blue screens, different size models to shoot different parts of the action. They literally had thousands of hours spent by the crew, two years and three and a half million dollars just on the models.
0: And things that are so easily created today with computers, going back to the title crawl where it shows the you know the obviously the title of the film and the 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 three paragraphs to set up the movie. Like, you could easily, anybody can make that on their computer now, but, like, they had to cut out the letters that were, like, I think two feet long each or something crazy like that, mm. put it on black, and then run a camera over it very slowly. So, the method... Yeah, it was a they, lot of
1: slow... Yeah, it was very painstaking and time-consuming.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, as great as the film is, and as timeless as it is, it is, and a lot of it is not just the story and the characters, uh, but just the little things, the production elements that go, you know, that went in the background, the sound, the props, I mean, those, it was the whole and, package. And
1: even the dogfights in space uh, between the ships, you know, you talked about they, even though it's a, a sci-fi fantasy, a space Western opera, basically there's a realism to it. And, and that's because of the models, the heart of the shot is real. And even the dogfights took inspiration from dogfights from World War II.
0: Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. I came across that as well. That was really cool how they kept those realistic elements even in a space battle. I thought that was awesome.
1: Yeah, they would attach explosives to the models and, and, and photograph the explosion to be able to simulate you know, when uh, a TIE fighter or a rebel ship would explode or parts of the Death Star would be shot or uh, exploded. But um, yeah, very cool how they, just a lot of craftsmanship uh, into the making of this film and uh, uh, on a lot of the iconic elements, and you know, story-wise, you know, what's really iconic and, and really influential is the Force.
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. I mean, of I,
1: mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the flux capacitor of narrative gems. I mean, ah, nice. The, this, That's good comparison. The, mm. This concept in the movie makes it universal because I feel like it, 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 it's inspirational because it it has everyone. Can relate to it because of that inner strength you find within yourself to to deal with adversity or rise above certain situations, and I feel like that's part of the movie that's very relatable and certainly one of the more powerful emotional mm-hmm. moments uh, in the movie. When because that's essentially what he's doing—he's digging deep within himself—and and I feel like the powerful message of that and what the forest brings is uh, very relatable and uh, really uh, adds to the movie's power uh, uh, w- w- when you are watching it.
0: No, yeah, that absolutely, and that's what made Luke such a great hero. Is that you saw yourself in him, and that you thought, like, oh, here's just this nobody um, farmer, boy, you know, farm boy. That he has the the force is strong in strong in him, and you felt like it could be strong in you too. Like it wasn't something you, you weren't you didn't have to be necessarily special. It it, it, it could happen to to anyone. Um, that's why it kind of frustrated me. Just sorry, a real, real small bitch fest about the prequels is that they introduced the concept of midi chlorians when they talked about young Anakin and like how that, that's why he was strong with the force. It's just, just, you know, pulled back the curtain and saw, and you saw the wizard. It just kind of ruined that for me personally. You felt mm-hmm. like it, the the mystery is what made it so cool. But anyway,
1: yeah, that, we could talk about yeah. that with, uh, you know, E.T., Uh, Not seeing inside the spaceship and the director's cut showing you the inside of the spaceship. We could talk about Inception, which I think was brilliant that Nolan left it up to the audience to make up their own mind. So I would agree with you. I mean, that's a whole conversation for a different day. Uh, But I would agree with you that I think it is better when the filmmaker leaves it to the audience to use their imagination and make up their own mind about certain things.
0: Especially with something like The Forest, where so much of the universe is based uh, around that. So. Yeah.
1: And even look at May the 4th. I mean, it's, it really, it's just remarkable when you start to talk about the far reaching power of this movie. And it also, you know, it really starts with the iconic elements uh, that transcend the power and of the movie. Um, And of course the score, I mean, that, when you talk about iconic elements in this film, this is John Williams opus. Um, AFI had a hundred years of film scores Star Wars was ranked number 1.
0: Oh, it has to be. I mean, the, the score of course is timeless to this day. It's a you can hear two notes, uh, it's immediate association whether it be the title theme or the the Empire march, you know, you 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 know it. It's just ah, it's you, you can't it's so well known that it's difficult to make a Star Wars movie in modern time and not have those themes still in there. You can't like, you're
1: absolutely right. You couldn't make a star Wars movie without this theme and other film franchises have attempted to change the theme. When you look at Superman, you know, versus John Williams in the 1978 original and then Hans Zimmer in the 2013 man of steel. Uh, And then with Batman, Danny Elfman's Tim Burton in 1989. And then Christopher Nolan's, you know, 2005 Batman begins. So other film franchises have changed the theme. Star Wars, you can't. It stays right. with the movie.
0: I couldn't agree more. And um, I, I know we we could talk about production for this entire podcast, but before we move on, I do want to say one last thing. Since you referenced Superman and you know, another John Williams theme, what's hard to believe is that movie came out in 1978, Superman that is. And, you know, you, they'll have the tagline, you'll believe a man can fly. But you look at it now and it's very... It's very dated as far as the uh, special effects. And I and I, knew, I know A New Hope is as well to some degree. But one of the things that set this movie apart when it was released from other space movies is that it didn't have that cheesiness. You felt you believed that it was in space. And George Lucas said that kind of began with the initial shot where you have the small rebel ship and the huge star destroyer and, and, and that shot was created so you immediately, without any lines of dialogue, without any setup, any narration you got you knew that the empire was this imposing thing, it was huge, and the- you know the rebels were minuscule and just you know pawns to them, and that could be crushed very easily by the empire. but that initial shot set the stage that you believed it was in space. George Lucas has said that if they couldn't get that shot to work then the whole movie wouldn't work because you had to buy it from that instant. And you did. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So. And I will, in defense of Superman, 1978, the movie has dated a little bit, but I will say, go back and watch the segment when Lois Lane is trapped in the helicopter on top of the daily planet and Superman, Clark mm-hmm. Kent is walking on the sidewalk, <laughs> Caesar. And, and I may have mentioned it, it. It still will give you chills to this day. That, that moment oh, yeah. still works. Yeah, John Williams, Superman score still hits, I agree. hits, hits the mark. As we said, George Lucas has reissued this movie multiple times, you know, uh, just like he rewrote the script multiple times. You know, he's modified the CGI, he's altered the dialogue, he's remixed the soundtracks, re edited the shots, he's added shots. But the first time this movie came out was in 1977 on May 25th, is when mm-hmm. it was released theatrically. And then 1977, long time ago, right? I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, 41 years. 1977, Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter were both president that year. The number one musical act, Rod Stewart, topped the Billboard 100, and some of the top TV shows: Mary Tyler Moore, uh, MASH, Columbo, Bob Newhart Show. So this was a very long time ago when this movie came out. Just giving yeah. people an idea.
0: I'm sure that a lot of uh, our listeners probably have no idea what any, some of that stuff is. I mean, the big things mash but some people shit they may not even know who rod stewart is
1: when this movie came out it was a phenomenon uh crowds it's famous there's pictures of crowds all over america lined up around the corner to go to the theater to see this movie in fact i don't know if mom has showed you the picture she took uh in los angeles outside the the chinese theater of the star wars premiere of people lined up outside so did she go to that no, she didn't go to the... She was in uh. L.A. and took a picture. Because it was such, so crazy, you took a picture. Like, oh my God, look at all those people. So it really was a phenomenon. It was delayed from a Christmas 1976 release. So they did delay the movie into the summer of 1977. You had said the budget for the film was $13 million, even though Fox originally approved $8 million. It earned, at the box office, $775 million worldwide, surpassing Jaws to become the highest-grossing movie of all time until ET in, in 1982.
0: Yeah, I do want to say that that 775 million that does include domestically 406 well, foreign 400, about 461 million. That is just the lifetime run of the movie, so that it would include re-releases to the theater. That's not its initial run. Um, so it, those numbers are inflated a little bit, but because the film is so timeless, it, it's one of those where you could release it in theaters today and you know, it's probably going to make it, at least another ten or fifteen million in the box office this weekend. You know, mm,
1: sure. Um, and they probably, you know, Lucas has done quite a few of those re-releases. But right, I want, I, we, maybe you should uh, look up what the uh, that would be in today's dollars. World oh, Wars. I've already looked
0: it up. Actually, I have that uh, uh, in in front of me um, for the domestic gross. It would actually be um, one point six three billion dollars domestically uh, I don't have the the adjusted numbers for inflation for worldwide, but I can tell you that it would be uh a number two all time for domestic grosses if you adjust for inflation, it would only be trailing gone with the wind, which made one point would would have made one point eight five billion dollars mm. into in today's money, so wow, yeah, you could say that this was. This was successful. I mean, it was it was yeah. definitely a phenomenon. What's kind of crazy is that um, whenever it came out, the first weekend it was released, it made $6.3 million. But then the following weekend, it made 11 and then 20 and then 30 And then it pretty much made between 20 and $30 million for the next, let's see, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, for about the next 10 weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's back when movies also ran in theaters for almost a year.
0: Yeah, it, it didn't leave theaters. Uh, it actually ran from May 77 to m- minus a couple weeks off here and there to, uh, to April of 1978.
1: The field's too crowded nowadays. That never happens. But back then, there was not as many movies coming out. If a mm-hmm. movie was a hit, those studios left in the theaters for a very long time. They milked as much out of it as they could
0: the last movie that I can remember doing that was Titanic.
1: I was just going to say that.
0: I felt like that movie was in theaters for two years. It was,
1: it was, and they re-released it, uh, in 3d a few years ago, but I, yeah, Yeah. when we were growing up and that movie originally came out, it was in theaters for, I want to say almost a year and a half. It felt like it's definitely over a year, like 13 or 14 months. We'll have to, that's a podcast for another day, but, uh, yeah, that's funny. You said that that's probably the last modern film I can remember that ran that long. Um, you know, interesting about Star Wars though is, uh, compared to all the other films in this franchise, this one really had a lot of critical acclaim and Academy Award, Oscar success.
0: Ten was it Oscar nominated no- for Best Picture?
1: No- yes, ten Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. It won six Oscars. Holy um, shit! Yes, uh, so it was you know one of the champs of the year for sure. Uh, it won for Best Sound, Best Costume Design, Art Design, Editing. Best Visual Effects, and Best Score.
0: Can you imagine a Star Wars movie being just nominated for Best Picture now, like if The Last Jedi was nominated?
1: That, that's what makes this movie really, compared to the other ones, the other ones, other Star Wars films in this franchise haven't had anywhere near the, the, that level of Oscar success. And they typically do get honored for technical awards, and a lot of which I just mentioned they won for the first film. But a lot of the big nominations, Alec Guinness was nominated for Best Supporting Actor Oscar as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Annie Hall ended up winning best picture. So star Wars didn't win.
0: So yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I would probably have remembered it that it was even nominated for best picture a little, little better if, if it had won, you know, but you just don't think about that. You don't associate that type of critical acclaim and award season notoriety with a star Wars film, but you think about it and what it did for the industry and how groundbreaking it was, um, and it really is a very, very well-crafted film.
1: Annie Hall won Best Picture. Star Wars was the box office champ, but other notable films of 77 include Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg's excellent sci-fi film, which we just mentioned a few moments ago, um, with the director's cut ending. Uh, Saturday Night Fever came out in
0: 1977. Oh, yeah. That one probably did pretty good at the box office, too, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, it was number three for the year. Uh, Close Encounters was second in box office grosses. Smoking the Bandit came out that year.
0: Nice.
1: Roger Moore as James Bond in The Spy oh. Who Loved Me.
0: Wow, man. that's I, it, See, I would never have placed all of those movies in the same year as Star Wars. That's it's crazy. And I, will, I can definitely uh, tell you with uh, 100% honesty that minus the occasional James Bond marathon, that Star Wars is the only movie from that year that I... Still watch very regularly, yeah. I mean, like you said, May the Fourth, you have to watch a Star Wars film. So um, now, uh,
1: you didn't call in sick and watch all of them,
0: <laughs> maybe. Uh, so moving on, you know, we talked about uh, production, the year in the movies. How about the casting of the actors, of the principal actors in the film? How did How did George Lucas and you know his his staff make these brilliant decisions?
1: Well, there were a lot of big names in play. Uh, ultimately, George Lucas decided he wanted to go with actors who weren't established. But initially, there were a lot of big names in play, which we'll get to uh, in a moment. Uh, but with uh, Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill uh, ultimately was cast. Uh, Robert England, who would wind up playing Freddy Krueger. Uh, Whoa. Yes, had strongly. Whoa, yeah, dude, hold on. blowing my mind. Uh, no, Robert, oh, you know, Robert England uh, strongly encouraged Mark Hamill to audition for the role. Oh man, okay, okay. I thought you were okay. going to say okay. that. No, he he didn't was just cast. no, 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 that's no, I'll tell you in a minute. But um no, he uh he encouraged him to go audition. Uh Mark Hamill did go audition and at 25 years old, he was cast as the role that would change his life forever, Luke Skywalker in George Lucas's Star Wars and he was getting paid $1,000 a week.
0: I know that's a lot more money back in 77, but it still doesn't sound like a lot. Mm, um, no,
1: mm. but you know, this film launched I mean, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and of course, Mr. Harrison Ford, who became a bonafide huge movie star, uh, ultimately breaking out from just Star Wars, being Indiana Jones, another iconic hero in cinematic history, and Blade Runner, Fugitive. I mean, his resume is very impressive. Uh, but it also, but it all started with this movie.
0: I mean, but but in between Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones, I mean, the guy could have. Never acted again. I mean, those are two of the most iconic characters. And it really just speaks to him that he was able to take those roles and not be permanently typecast because of them.
1: Yeah, it's funny you said Harrison Ford was worried about being typecast because as a young actor, he was getting guest stars. And he was worried about being too well-known of a guest star TV actor and it affecting his film career. And so he became a carpenter. So he didn't have to take the acting jobs that he didn't want to do. And ended up, by 1976, he was a carpenter to the stars. And carpentry was his main job. And as Mark Hamill was 25 when he was cast, Harrison Ford was in his early 30s. And he had appeared in a small role in American Graffiti. Uh, He was brought in, originally, as a reader for people auditioning for Star Wars. He wasn't even brought in to read. uh, But it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that his line readings were better than all the other actors auditioning for Han Solo. So even at the suggestion of Steven Spielberg, they cast Harrison Ford.
0: It's funny that you mention his, how good his line readings were, because there was another actor that uh, Anthony Daniels, who played C-3PO, he was on set in costume as 3 po as just the line reader, some similar to what they do with David Prowse with Darth Vader and overdubbing James Earl Jones, who has the iconic Darth Vader voice, they were going to do something similar with Anthony Daniels, but they liked his on-set performance so much that they ended up having him. That's how he, he got the role. He was not the original choice. And, I mean, he really hasn't done anything else except for 3PO, but it's, I mean, it's kind of crazy that you just get your foot in the door for for you know Harrison Ford, for Anthony Daniels and look what it's turned into. I you know, obviously Harrison Ford's had a more successful career, but crazy that he started out as a freaking carpenter and yeah. look at him now. Yeah.
1: Really remarkable. It's almost like the Tom Brady being drafted in the 6th round, you know where he kind of came from and where he ended up. You know Carrie Fisher, she was only 19 when she auditioned. Uh, she read with Harrison, their chemistry was undeniable,
0: and Lucas said he wanted to have someone that, you know, kind of young but at the same time was uh not necessarily aggressive but someone that could hold her own and be independent and if you really look at that film Carrie Fisher I mean she is the perfect cast for that role it's difficult to imagine anyone else playing uh Princess Leia or Ghana other than Carrie Fisher I mean she just encapsulates who that character is no she
1: really does and the iconic characters in this film we talked about iconic design elements the iconic characters are really those 3 that we just talked about into the iconic heroes Princess Leia Carrie Fisher Han Solo Harrison Ford and Luke Skywalker played by Mark Hamill
0: and, and really in this film they almost play it off as somewhat of a love triangle before you realize you know that Luke and Leia again spoilers well Luke and Leia are our brother and sister you know that uh, but they if you notice in that film it's so it's actually borderline creepy once you know how it ends up, but I mean, they um, they definitely had that chemistry, and just just the actors in general had a great. You could tell they had a seemingly had a great friendship, and their personalities really played off each other to create these iconic characters. Like without all three of them, you know, they're a package deal. All three of them is what was necessary to make each of them iconic in their own way.
1: Absolutely. And all these characters, you know, the chemistry between all the actors at playing the characters is really what makes the movie go. I mean, not only the three main characters, but you've got, you know, R2-D2 and C-3PO. You know, you got Han Solo and Carrie Fisher. Um you got Han Solo and Chewie, you know, there's these great dynamics between these characters and, and it's just, it's just so pleasurable to watch them experience this adventure together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you mentioned R2-D2, uh, what's kind of, what I thought was kind of cool is, you know, they, they had Kenny Baker, the famous uh, Kenny Baker uh, playing, you know, in, R2-D2 inside this the robot. And, If you notice in the film, there are two versions of R2-D2. There's one where he's like, you know, looks like he's remote controlled. He has three legs. He's cruising along. That's because it is remote controlled. But then there's another version that has the two legs where it'll kind of wobble back and forth and whatnot. And George Lucas wanted the movements of R2 to have a human element to them. And that is why they had Kenny Baker uh, in the it, 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 in, the, in the suit, if you will, in, in the robot controlling it that way because they just didn't want it to be remote control. They wanted to feel like there was a personality and a human element behind it.
1: Because George Lucas wrote C-3PO and R2-D2, they were robots he wanted to make human. And so it doesn't surprise me you mentioned that physicality he wanted R2-D2 to have even when it wobbles because he wanted people to care about those robots mm-hmm. as if they were human characters. And I think we can agree that that does work uh, in the movie.
0: Yeah, and 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 just how that tied into the story. It's just you know Lucas was inspired by some older films. Um, I think some Kurosawa films, some older Japanese films, to where a grand epic tale was told by following two seemingly insignificant characters. And so, if you think about the story of the movie, it's about three PO and R two delivering the Death Star plans and they tie in and meet with these characters that end up telling the greater tale, but it all starts with them.
1: Yeah, it really does. And, you know, talking about the iconic heroes, one of the most iconic villains in cinema history, Darth Vader, the crown prince of evil from his inception. Lucas had him visualize him that way. Um, This is the chief nemesis, the villain of the original Star Wars trilogy voiced by James Earl Jones. David Prowse did play him as well, but we really uh, identify the character being played by James Earl Jones with the iconic uh, voiceover work that he did playing the character.
0: Go back. uh, Sorry to interrupt, but go back and watch uh, on set um, clips of David Prowse saying the Darth Vader lines and prepare to laugh your ass off. Because he is not an imposing character at all. If you hear David Prowse, you know obviously the look of D- Darth Vader is iconic, but it's James Earl Jones's voice that really makes the character who he is.
1: James Earl Jones was unaccredited for the first two films. He from The Exorcist uh, uh, didn't. There was uh, an actor. Um, I don't recall the name offhand uh they didn't get credit because it was just voiceover work for the character and he felt the same way he didn't deserve a credit since he was just doing the voice and also he was a young actor and didn't want to be typecast in the film but by the by the third film of the original trilogy he was identified with the character and said well what the heck i'll put my name on it
0: yeah he was definitely very reluctant to um to associate himself with the with the the movie, he didn't know what it was. But then, of course, you find out later. It's kind of like, um, um, real quick, uh, you know, Natalie Portman in the Thor movies. After the second one, she's like, "Yeah, I'm done. It wasn't very good." But actually, now um, she has talked about how she would be open to return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Of course, she would <laughs> because of <laughs> how, how successful it is. Um, but yes, but without James Earl Jones, I don't think that. You, that iconic villain stands the test of time as it does um, still today.
1: Actors, you know, would fight over themselves to get a role in Star Wars today. But back yeah, they, but, yeah. but back then, big, big actors turned their back on having a chance to be in the Star Wars movie. Al Pacino was handed Star Wars without having to audition to play Han Solo. I believe he had his pick to play Luke Skywalker as well, and he turned it down. Hmm. Bill Murray was considered for Han Solo. Oh,
0: that'd have been great! Wow. Yeah,
1: um, they brought in Stallone. Didn't feel his look was right, so he wasn't a finalist by any didn't stretch. Did
0: he? I feel like I saw a quote where he said he was too ugly to be in space or something. He didn't.
1: Something there's no like face. That. There's no faces like this in space. Uh, yeah, is that's what, he what said. it was. Yeah. Robert England, Freddy Krueger auditioned for Han Solo. And of
0: oh, so he did audition, yeah, Holy shit.
1: that's how I knew wow. about that's how I knew about it, um, oh man, that's cool, and what has been spoofed hilariously on s n l Christopher Walken mm-hmm. auditioned for Han solo, <laughs> me and chewie here, the millennium Falcon, yeah, that it's sucked, yeah, yeah, it's so good, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, those are just some of the big names that were in contention, and from the finished product, we know that Lucas decided to go in a different direction and go with less established actors uh which i mean it worked luke william Cat was considered not that big of an actor that well known but he was the star of a three-season show greatest american hero
0: oh yes i know who I, i didn't know the name but i know it was if he was is he the lead in greatest american hero uh i believe so yes yeah yeah so i mean you could yeah, I could definitely see that. Okay.
1: Before James Earl Jones was cast as Darth Vader's voice, they were looking at Orson Welles.
0: Wow. I mean, that's that's a big wow from me. I, I mean, I can see it, but...
1: Well, he was really well-known from the radio... Uh, productions and plays he would perform a war of the worlds and he had such a great voice and a theatrical voice of narrating these stories uh he made a pretty good living as a voice actor in fact there's some really funny tapes of him getting pissed off doing some ad readings um it's definitely entertaining to listen to but he was in contention for vader they did they did consider him uh and for c3po mel blanc the looney tunes voice you know the, the uh, uh, did all the Looney Tune voices, right? Um, uh, was uh, considered for C three PO. Huh. Yeah, so uh, just some of the names that they looked at. Um And when they casted this movie, George Lucas and Brian De Palma opened a communal casting session for Star Wars and Carrie. So they were, you know, they were looking at a lot of people for this, and and ultimately how you ended up having Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher getting this. They, they looked at a lot of people and, um, always interesting to see some of the big names and, and always talk about or think about what could have been.
0: Yeah, definitely. One of the, again, a situation where hindsight is 2020, 20, but I'm glad they went with who they went with some great actors that we cherish to this day and those parts. And of course, you know, what helps make those characters so iconic is great writing. Um, so as far as, you know, you, your favorite scenes and quotes from the movie. There's so many that I had to choose from. I mean, it was very difficult for me. So I've still got, I'm still trying to narrow it down. Warren, you go ahead and go first. What What's your favorite scene from, from the film?
1: There's a, there's a lot of uh, enjoyable scenes in the film. Uh, the TIE fighter attack with Han and Luke, you really get to see that relationship and they kind of start to really warm to each other. Uh, C-3PO and rtd d 2 on Tatooine. That's a really great scene. I just love those two together. Anything with those two is enjoyable. Don't get technical
0: with me. What mission? What are you talking about? I've just about had enough of you. Go that way. You'll be malfunctioning within a day, you nearsighted scrap pile. And don't let me catch you following me, begging for help, because you won't get it. Three PO is he is great. Anthony Daniels is just, just he just crushes yeah. it.
1: Um, Obi Wan and Luke. Anytime Obi Wan's talking about the Force and and just going back to the magic and of the Force and it being in the movie, it just really just puts you in a trance and just you just really buy into what's going on, and it just adds to the. The mythology of the movie and the film franchise, and, and it just I find those scenes very compelling and very interesting. Uh, so a lot of great scenes. I feel like the obvious scene. Uh, oh, of course, the detention center with.
0: Now, um, you, know, you got to pick one. You no, don't no, 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 I'm just doing no, 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 no,
1: no, no. But the detention center. It has classic Han Solo. Uh, uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, it's like weapons malfunction but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine, we're all fine here now, thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down.
0: Uh, Large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Uh, we conversation anyway. Luke, we're gonna have company! Oh yeah, I love, absolutely love that scene. That is just—it makes me laugh every time I watch yeah, it. Yeah, he's, it's he's, so great, he's perfectly played. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and, and it, but it really speaks to that's who Han Solo is, and and that's why we love him. And Han Solo really, to me, steals the show. Even though Luke Skywalker is, you know, the direct descendant of Flash Gordon, he is the reflection of everyone's adventurous spirit, and he's the Michael Corleone of the Star Wars franchise. He's the linchpin character. Han Solo really stu- steals the show as the main hero in a lot of ways but getting back to the favorite scene distract, you know, I feel like the destruction or the Death Star assault is like the easy one to go with because it's such a great climax to the movie but for me personally what I'm going to pick as my favorite scene is the Darth Vader and Obi-Wan face off I've been waiting for you Obi-Wan we meet again at last the circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but a learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, <laughs>
0: Can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine.
1: And the reason why is it again, going off one why I like the scenes with Obi-Wan and Luke, and Obi-Wan talking about the force to Luke, is it adds it's it's like two knights doing battle. And and it it's this the you know, it's literally like, you know. Uh, uh bird vs magic or it's like some great rivalry, these two great Jedi knights. One represents good, one represents evil, and it really builds up to that moment and the anticipation of what's gonna happen. I, I, I just I just remember really enjoying that scene and, and, and I still do every time I watch it.
0: And of course, you know how it ends with Obi Wan like smiling at Luke, but then putting his lightsaber up, disappearing to become one with the force. And not the scene that I would have gone with, but I see why you did it. And a lot of people complain about it now, especially when you watch the prequels or the newer Star Wars films and you see how advanced the fighting is in it. You you would think, like, you know, why are these two essential, You know, basically, Master Sith Lord, you know, Master Jedi, Master Sith, uh, Lord... Um, why are they fighting like a couple old men? Well, well they are a couple old men. Mm-hmm. Anakin, of course, is more machine than man at this point. And Obi-Wan is, you know, old, been a hermit for how many years? So it was a very difficult fight for them to, to just to go through. So the, the tension there and then the dramatics is what makes it's that scene It's the story, similar. though.
1: It's not about the action to right. me. It's about the story. And also right. what I think really makes that scene more powerful is that Obi-Wan does die. He does fall. And I think more often than not, dramaturgically, the science of storytelling, what makes a lot of movies predictable is we're like, oh, the hero has to win here. And that's like one of the other episodes we had about Dark Knight when Rachel died. When the hero doesn't win and he loses, it is compelling and it stays with you. It's why the death scene of Braveheart, the ending of that movie is so powerful. It, it, It... Because it it shows that there's consequence in this world, and I think you ultimately become more invested as a result.
0: Interestingly enough, that scene where he dies was not in the original script. So uh, George Lucas actually rewrote that while they were shooting and had to sell Sir Alec Guinness on it. He was very upset that his character was dying, but then he eventually understood the purpose of the story because at that point you have a powerful Jedi. He didn't... like as far as uh, purpose of the story, he didn't really have one, you know, after he had done his thing on the death star, Mm -hmm. you almost needed that to happen in order to drive the Luke's character development along. And he just didn't really have a place. And as far as the end of that film um, and the other films, other than being um, a force guide for, for Luke.
1: So, So what is your favorite scene?
0: Again, like you said, a lot to choose from, but, My favorite scene is the cliche when you mentioned earlier is the Death Star run, but it's not the entire run, just the climax like what you mentioned. What makes it the favorite for me is because I've seen this movie hundreds of times and I still get chills at the moment when Luke's getting close to the, um, it, (laughs) the moment when Luke is getting close to fire, the proton torpedoes, and he's got... Darth Vader and his TIE fighter and the other two behind him and it looks like you know shit's about to hit the fan and in comes Han Solo who you thought had bailed and just the way the shot I get chills just thinking about it the where he says he you know he, he shoots him and you see the Falcon flying in with the sun but or you know the, the, oh, the glow yeah. behind it
1: it's so awesome I have you not what
0: out. You're all clear,
1: kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home.
0: A million remember force will be with you always everything about that is just again I, I it gives me chills it's, every single time I watch it It's one of fail. the
1: reasons we go to the movies it is a feel-good moment that inspires people a, a heroic moment that shows the good of humanity and it's just I do love that moment and now that I think about it um, I just didn't want to pick that scene just because I didn't want to be cliche I
0: mean it's cliche for a reason and then and right after that, he fires the torpedoes. They go in. He has the the exhale, and then you, they fly away. The Death Star blows up. I mean, it's just I'm yeah. gonna be like Kevin Smith is gonna make me cry thinking about it. I yeah, love that part of the movie.
1: Really, a great climax to the film.
0: All right, so to kind of um, go beyond the your favorite scene, what is your favorite quote from from the film?
1: Like the scenes, I mean, there's so many quotes that have just has such they've, they've been spoofed and repeated and you know it's it's a highly quotable film um okay you know i would just love see-through people we talk about anthony daniels the word doomed line is so great <laughs> 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 i laugh every time i hear it you know uh, there's the classic princess leia help me obi-wan you're my only hope uh you know we had the lack of faith is disturbing Darth Vader line in the trailer. That's uh, because you really get a sense of just how menacing Darth Vader is uh, in that scene. Um, you know, may the force be with you Uh fast ship. You never heard of the millennium Falcon exchange is so great uh, with Han Solo. And you know, there's the classic, I, I got a bad feeling about this, which is in every star Wars movie. But if I picking one quote for me, and it speaks with a consistent theme in some of my choices of what I like. It goes with the Force. When Obi-Wan speaks to Luke... Use the Force, Luke. And, and again, I, because it was at a critical moment and Luke needed to dig deep. And whether you're in... Uh, you know, It doesn't matter what facet of life it is, whether it's business, sports, personal, whatever hardship or adversity you're dealing with, I feel like that's such a universally relatable moment that, that just as I said before, speaks to the inner strength we all have to prevail over and triumph over uh, uh, what you may be facing. And I, I just think that line is very powerful at, at that moment. And, and for me, it's it's what I'm going to, that's the one I'm going to go with. Uh,
0: a, a wonderful choice. Um, I mean, Obi-Wan really does have a lot of uh, great lines and quotes in the film. And the one that I chose is also an Obi Wan quote, so we were on the same page there. What did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but the one I chose was in a little bit different context, and it's more so you know you have the uh, epitome of a rogue, Han Solo, who knows everything. Um, when they are they get into they get captured by the Death Star and they get sucked in and they hide in, underneath the flooring. And that, you know, they have the plan, they're going out, and Han Solo basically scoffs at it, and Obi Wan says, Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows it? I just, I love that line, and it's always stuck with me. And and of course, I have pretty much the whole movie memorized, but that one is just very, very clever, and it just shows really that Obi Wan's the shit, and that even had made Han Solo shut up. It's just like, you know, he, I think with that line, he, earned Han Solo's respect if he didn't already have it, but he's like, this guy knows what he's talking about. So I just really love what it, the a character association that it had between Obi-Wan and Han.
1: Yeah, and you have to give it to Alec Guinness. I mean, he was the first one to really play a Jedi Master. His character was the, you know, last night survivor of the Jedi Order, and he really brought that power uh, and authority and... and, and uh, gravitas. To, uh, yeah, a gra- the, the gravitas to... Um, to that character and just uh, like you said, a lot of the line readings, a lot of those moments don't work without a great performance. And, and I think ultimately that's why he was recognized as we mentioned before, with the Academy award nomination for best supporting actor. He really did a great job in this movie. Um, he did. And, and had a lot of great lines and just crushed them.
0: All right. So getting on to my favorite part of the episode, what if the movie was made today? Um, the first thing I want to look at is the characters the of the principal actors. if we were to if you and I got to cast this movie today, who would we cast in those principal parts um, I'll go ahead and defer to you, so let's start out with Luke Skywalker, who did you have in that role, or who would you have excuse me in that role
1: well. Some familiar names, because we just did the Ferris Bueller episode where we casted actors under 25, and I felt like that was kind of the same premise you had to approach Luke Skywalker with. So, you know, Tom Holland, Freddie Highmore, some of the names I thought of, but casting Luke Skywalker, I think I would go with Timothy Chalamet.
0: Oh, just had a really good um, Oscar run, award season run, so he's got some buzz for him now. So, all right, I, I like that. I mean, I think he would... He definitely fits the part, um, a little boyish, you know, but definitely has that that vibe where you you know you feel like he's
1: Mark, yeah Mark Hamill's pretty boyish in New Hope.
0: Yeah, I mean, but you felt like he could handle himself in, in, in a battle, like a, a he could, he, especially by the end of the movie, you felt like he was a little scrappy. I don't see that from Tim from Timothy Chalamet, so um, I, I like it. I can see uh, parts of it, but I I don't know if he has. I don't know. Mark Hamill's too perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he really is. For that role. I mean, he is Luke Skywalker. Of, and I and, and
1: understand when we do this segment, we're not disrespecting the original actors who played these roles or by any means suggesting these actors would be better. We're just going off if we had to cast it today and uh, those actors were not suitable for the roles today, we had to cast someone else.
0: Right. Not necessarily it's the character of Luke Skywalker, who up until a few months ago, mark hamill was still playing in star wars movies this is just solely for episode four the movie we're discussing in this episode just to be clear yes now who i chose is luke skywalker and he kind of got some internet buzz for this because of the similarities of how he looked but i would pick sebastian stan aka bucky barnes from the avengers and captain america movies
1: he's a little old for the role. he's 30
0: he's he's 35 years old but
1: Hey, I know he can
0: play young. I'm just, you know, this is okay.
1: Okay. Okay. A little old, but, uh, I mean, he's certainly the right
0: type for sure. All right. So moving on to princess Leia, who I would have, uh, in that role. And I talked about earlier how perfect, uh, Carrie Fisher is and how it's so difficult to replace. And I really racked my brain. I had a hard time finding who could, have that youthful exuberance but at the same time be independent an independent princess in the sense that she could hold her own and i kept it with the theme with the avengers movies and i picked letitia wright who is shuri or suri excuse me um from black panther uh t'challa's sister you know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
1: I I, I adore her in that movie because uh, I finally took your advice and watched Black Panther, and she is she's great. I think she'd be really good in the part. And here's the thing. She's sassy. She's sassy like Princess Leia. Like, I feel like she could hang with Han Solo.
0: Exactly. And the thing is, is you can't spell Letitia without Leia. So, I mean, she's already... Uh, the name is there. Boom. <laughs> Bang Boom. biscuit. So I, think, I, th- I think she would be perfect. So, uh, who did you have as Leia?
1: Well... I, you know when you talk about a role at this age and this type, and I've mentioned her. She's one of my favorite actresses working today, Alicia Vikander. I you can't. She's a contender. Lily Collins, I really adore, and I think she would be great. That's Phil Collins' daughter.
0: Uh-huh. Um, I almost picked her. I like that. Yeah. I
1: really like her. But who I would cast? sersha Ronan as Princess Leia.
0: Oh yeah, that man. She. I could definitely see that. Yes, yeah, she is definitely got a little. um a little spitfire you know she could
1: yeah and she she can I, I play like younger that. i mean she just did lady bird she played a high school student and she would bring a depth and vulnerability and humanity to the role that uh i, I would be very interested to see her portray uh, I, I think she would be great uh, as princess leia yes
0: I, I like that um what about uh han solo who did you have for for him
1: okay han solo's a little tougher because um, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of types for this. Well, I, plus, I, I, well, plus a, well, here's
0: yeah. the thing: is that it's tougher because the solo movie is you know is by the time this episode's released, we'll have already been out but it's it's very fresh and a new younger Han Solo is very fresh in everyone's minds technically it's already been recast so
1: and yeah and the actor they cast he's great I mean I, I love him in Hail Caesar the Coen Brothers movie he's in he is sensational and uh, a joy to watch in that movie very funny and I'm excited to see how he portrays Solo but some of the pool of actors I looked at uh Liam Hemsworth
0: okay yeah I like that that's very good yeah
1: Tom Hardy who I think we can agree I have a bro crush on because I tend to cast him in every single episode somehow um, I feel
0: like yeah I feel like that is a trend that you have definitely cast him in. But, so and,
1: he's a can't he would be a finalist and, and this is of course these names I'm mentioning as if they cast someone other than me to play Han Solo because uh, let's be real I would be a perfect Han Solo I, you know and uh,
0: I may be a little biased being your brother but I do actually think you would be a pretty good Han Solo no, so.
1: yeah, well thank you I appreciate that uh, let's hope Lucasfilm and Disney uh, maybe and the sequels but maybe that ship's passed with the uh, the I think that ship has sailed yeah it definitely has
0: what an idiot maybe depending on how good this one does so yeah
1: Uh, uh, James McAvoy who I love uh, I think he would be interesting in it
0: Mm, yeah I don't think he has that roguish charm but okay go on
1: Uh, James Franco
0: okay are you just going to keep naming everything? No, no, I'm, I'm,
1: just, I'm just throwing some candidates out there for people to think about because these are who I was looking at. Joseph Gordon-Levitt I also think would be uh, could be great uh, as Solo. But casting it right now, I would pick Chris Pine.
0: Chris Pine. Ooh, uh, I like it. Yeah, because he almost had a, a similar type of persona. You could definitely see some – Uh, Han Solo Flair uh, as this character uh, from Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah, and and he had some, he really, I think his performance in Wonder Woman is heavily underrated. I I think he carries parts of that movie. He has great comedic timing. And even Captain Kirk in the first Star Trek, you know, he's on the bridge for the first time, eating the apple, Mm -hmm. real cocky and smug. I mean, that's very much some Han Solo character traits. Uh, I think he would be uh, very entertaining to watch. And, um, I think he's got the chops to pull it off. I
0: think if he wouldn't have played Kirk in the recent Star Trek movies, that he probably would have been a v like a front runner for Han Solo in, in this new one. That's that's really good. I like that. And I like it much better than actually the actor that I picked. And I thought for the record, I thought um Liam Hemsworth was a very good choice as well. Um you could definitely see him in the role. Those were my two favorites. I thought that He's a little older, but I thought Ryan Reynolds could have also been good. Hansel, mm, he kind of okay. has, has that that type of vibe. But I felt like it would have been almost a little too jokey about it and not as much devil may care as you want to see from the character. I ended up going with um, another Chris, Chris Pratt, to keep it in the Avengers theme. I think he's a natural. Such an
1: obvious choice.
0: Very obvious choice, and I felt guilty for saying it, but... I mean, come on, it would it would be great. So, it's,
1: yeah, it's kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal playing Batman. It's kind of the go-to auto casting. It, is. I, it I, is. I think Chris Pratt is a poor man's Harrison Ford in some ways. I mean, he's certainly the same type, but I, 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 I wouldn't really want to. Yeah. I mean, you know, I could, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he got cast in it because he's certainly a big star and it's his type. But, um,
0: really, what we should do is if we were to make it today, we should just cast 70 year old Harrison Ford with some makeup and we could just lie to ourselves and say he's still in his 30s because he would probably be
1: awesome. Or use the technology that Martin Scorsese is using on The Irishman with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and aging them down with CGI. They could just do that.
0: That's right. And they did that something similar with, uh, well, Speaking of Chris Pratt, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with uh, Kurt Russell, and then Captain America's Civil War with Robert Downey Jr. So,
1: And even Rogue One with the quick cameo at Princess Leia, aka a younger Carrie Fisher.
0: Yeah, and with those, actually, they, they do end up getting a different actor to play that part, and they superimpose their face on it. Sure.
1: So. Yeah. They, and they did the same thing in the new Blade Runner with, uh, spoiler, Sean Young uh, as, as the same robot from the original. Um, oh, uh, so, who's your Darth Vader?
0: Okay, I, I didn't do Darth Vader, um, so let me say the last one that I did. I, I don't think you can really redo Darth Vader; that's that's tough. I am sure you'll have a good one, but the last one that I did was Obi Wan, mm, and okay. my Obi Wan he's a little old, but I felt like I just i, I kept coming back to this name, and um, it was Anthony Hopkins as Obi Wan. Mm, that's I pretty good. Like, I feel like he he would have, like I said, the the gravitas of you know respecting a, an old. Jedi Master that in the same way that we did with um Sir Alec Guinness in the movie. I absolutely
1: agree. And Anthony Hopkins has this profound ability as an actor that I'm extremely jealous of, where everything he says seems significant and important. So you listen very closely. And even if you watch him in Westworld season one, still got his fastball. Um, still able to deliver that type of dialogue. I still think he is a little older, but he would be great as Obi-Wan that is an older character. So I don't feel like he's aged out of it. My choice is Obi-Wan. Jonathan price.
0: Oh, wait, who is he again? He's the high
1: Sparrow, high Sparrow from game of Thrones.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's good. I like that. Yes. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a very good choice.
1: I think he'd be great. Um, now, my Darth Vader, you didn't go Vader, and I, and I, and I almost didn't do it, too, because I, I felt the same way. It's really hard to recast it because of the iconic voice, but I would cast Benedict Cumberbatch.
0: Okay, I think we're going to end the podcast. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Uh, this will be our last episode because there's no way you could cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Darth Vader.
1: What? You know, remember, do you not know, remember the voice he did of the dragon in the Hobbit movies? He actually has a very good voice. He has a powerful, deep voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just, I I can't see it for Darth Vader, though.
1: I think he could do it. It's just like Liv Schreiber has, like, you hear him do the NFL film voiceover, and his voice sounds completely different doing voiceover than it does when he's acting, and Benedict Cumberbatch has that ability. He really does have a great voice.
0: I would rather hear Lee Schreiber as Darth Vader than Benedict Cumberbatch. So well,
1: Liv Schreiber can kick your ass, though too. He plays Ray Donovan. I mean, he's he's a force to be reckoned yeah. with.
0: A, a force to be reckoned with. I see what you did there. Very nice. Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> the force is strong with him.
0: So, as far as if the movie came out today, um, do you feel? The success would be the same. Would it still be the number two grossing movie of all time?
1: Well, and we'll get into the influence and legacy of Star Wars, in particular this film, which launched the franchise. But this movie, along with Jaws, played an intricate part. Studios started to move away from the filmmaker, the personal films that filmmakers made in the 70s and into the big blockbuster tentpole movies, the event films. Uh, uh, This movie really is responsible for that change in Hollywood so you have to think it would be just as successful if not more so because the climate uh for for movies i mean this this kind of movie thrives uh in, in today's film climate
0: yeah i mean i think it would have been successful i don't think you can compare it to the success it had where it was making between 20 and 30 million dollars for you know essentially 10 weeks straight um at the box office because back then nobody had seen anything like that before and it's difficult to say well what if it came out today because you don't know you can't really extrapolate how where the movie industry would be today without star wars existing um but because of the prevalency of you know cgi and the use of computers with special effects it would just be um it would have to be a it'd Have to be exceptional on the level of like the MCU to be that successful. I mean, yes, it would, you know, a lot of people would go see it, but you know, you almost needed a, an existing IP, um, you know, to, to, to play off of like Marvel has, it's or it's a sequel or it's a remake or something for something to come out at just out of the blue like star Wars with no pre-existing,
1: it would probably be a buildup. Like a lot of like, even the first iron man led to the Avengers and then the Avengers ended up being huge. So it'd probably be like a lead up movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, you would have to, it would be difficult to get people on the hook, um, for sure. But I, I cause I it's
1: mean, so, po- it's so populated today with so many different films, so many different options, so many different TV shows. I mean, there's 560 TV shows in production right now. Uh, not to mention all the movies that come out. Um, I feel like the film would not get the kind of critical acclaim today right. that it did. These type of movies are just more dismissed. I feel like it was such a one of a kind world shocker back then that it, you know, you could feel the waves everywhere. But nowadays, the significance of this type of film, uh, I don't feel like it would have that far of a reach with the uh, with the Oscars.
0: It, it it can't even with the Oscars or with the impact on society and you know how people going to the theater waiting in line. it's just you can't put that in today's terms because it is a one of a kind lightning in a bottle um situation from it coming out in 1977 and it de- there's no way it could have the same impact in in today's society
1: i yeah i totally agree and you know this movie has been spoofed and appeared and been referenced in more mediums more different films tv shows video games Etc. Than than probably any, any other film or, or, or film property. You know, when you when you when you talk about some of the uh, great movies that have referenced or spoofed Star Wars, uh, Spaceballs, Smell Brooks's cult classic comedy has a high, very high replay value.
0: Um, I mean, it's pretty much the whole thing is a parody or a spoof of Star Wars, but a very good one. But it's great. Yeah, it's,
1: exactly. But even like TV shows like Family Guy, you know, uh, the Simpsons movie, 30 Rock, Archer. And then you have like the movies, uh, other films like, um, you know, Happy Gilmore, the Austin Powers films, Team America. You know, it's just it, even the great movie. Like you have some of the some, some some just like casually good films, comedies like Hot Shots Part 2, Naked Gun, where they spoof at the Ernest, uh movies. And then even some of the greats like E.T., Blade Runner, Poltergeist, they even reference it. Just how much this movie's been spoofed and referenced in other movies and TV shows. I think it's number one.
0: Yeah, I mean, there has been, uh, yeah, you can't even mention them all, but there's been an actual movie, I don't know if you've ever seen, I think it's called Fanboys, where it's about a group of friends. One of them is has a terminal illness. It, it's a comedy, by the way, and Kristen Bell's in it. But they're a group of friends, they want to go, they take a trip to Skywalker Ranch to meet George Lucas so that they can get uh his friend can get or their friend can get a uh preview of Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace, which was the first movie, a Star Wars movie that came out in, you know, uh almost twenty years at the time he wanted to watch it because they were such huge star Wars fans before he passed away. But the, the, an entire movie, it wasn't even a parody or anything. It was just based upon the power of star Wars in society. And, and like you mentioned, family guy, they made three, uh, like an, either an hour or an hour and a half long parody animated films, one for each episode of four five and six. I mean, and they're, they're all fantastic. I mean, robot chicken. I mean, it's all, it's great.
1: Star Wars is sewn into the fabric of our pop culture. Um, I mean, look at Big Bang Theory. I mean, that you, they've that's just kind of part of those characters. You just associate their fanships with those movies. And when you talk about Star Wars, really, uh, the, all the movies it's appeared in leads us to talk about its legacy and influence that it's had, which, as we said, opening the podcast, today this film is considered to be one of the most important films in the history of cinema bar to none. It it is, it's one of the, the most important players
0: without question. It's up there. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, uh, it, uh, the influence it had on the industry as a whole that this and Jaws essentially launching the blockbuster movie genre. And, you know, you had a lot of, um, uh, you know, movies that attempted to emulate it after this, to no avail, uh, but it, it just it, it kind of showed filmmakers, you know, and writers what could be done with the power of movies as far as taking you somewhere else in a way that was never done before and in an action oriented way
1: yeah really it really did change the climate which has continued to evolve today as we said the climate's very friendly for these type of movies to thrive look at the superhero uh, of, of you know fad right now it's a really hot trend and it's it's influenced dozens of great directors I mean so many of the best directors working today have mentioned Star Wars as having a, a significant influence on them artistically as, as, as filmmakers, James Cameron, Christopher Nolan, Ridley Scott, David Fincher, uh, Peter Jackson, JJ J. Abrams, Kevin Smith. We talk about who is well known, uh, for his fanship of Star Wars.
0: Um, I mean, it's almost impossible to grow up and not be enveloped with, you know, a childlike wonder of Star Wars, and and being influenced by that, especially for today's filmmakers. And it even goes on now. We had, it, it was a dark time for Star Wars fans after the prequels came out. They were, you know, unapologetically bashed and they still are to this day. But then Disney bought it and then you got The Force Awakens and Rogue One and Last Jedi, which was probably the, f- it's mixed, but, you know. Yeah,
1: it's pretty remarkable. This film led to two sequels, a prequel trilogy, a sequel trilogy and anthology films.
0: And that's the point I'm making is that, you know, this is now a new generation of kids that are going to be, you know, uh, be able to experience the wonder and magic of the Star Wars films now that it's that Disney owns it and is doing great things with it. I never thought I would say that 10 years ago. Um, yeah it but,
1: couldn't be in better hands, and it's really sad that it, this property lay dormant as long as it did i mean you had the spin you know numerous spin offs like video games animated movies i mean the property was still alive t v shows animated shows you know mm-hmm. but the the film franchise really i'm I'm glad they got it together and and
0: and started making these movies again oh fuck yeah, me too, because I get one every <laughs> single year now <laughs> um and because it's so permeated in pop culture it, it, you're going to have, uh, like a lot of the movies we talk about with a high replay value, you've got fan theories and this film is one that has uh, a lot of them. And I, I, I want to just to kind of throw a few at you to, to kind of see what you thought about some of these. There was a lot to choose from. So I just try to pick a few out that I thought were, uh, especially interesting. So, uh, are you ready for this? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Let's hear it. So, All right. So first fan theory I came across, and this is kind of a, a fairly common one, is that Han Solo himself is strong with the Force, and he doesn't know it. So hear me out. Uh, and I, I'm actually on board with this. So number one, you look at the new films. Uh, Kylo Ren, a.k.a. Ben Solo, is one of the most powerful uh, beings in the galaxy as far as when it comes uh, his attunement with the force and you know that she, he has Skywalker blood but being as powerfully as he is, Solo's got to have a little bit about that too and you think about it, if you especially if you go back and watch the films, the level of luck that he has and you really, he would call it luck but can you, you really can't call it that as far as like, I mean, shit, when they go into the asteroid field and Empire Strikes Back, um, he, you know, c 3 is just like, the odds of surviving are 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. You know, uh, as far as in episode 4 that we're talking about, he, like, turns a corner, essentially runs into a whole group of stormtroopers who start shooting at him, and he doesn't get shot. Um, so it's just uh, the level of luck as far as being a—what he can do as a pilot— um, Surviving every blaster battle, um his son's the bloodline there, shit in episode seven, he comes in at light speed to the star killer base planet and stops just a couple hundred feet before hitting the surface. I mean, anybody who can do something like that has to have some uh unrealized force potential, so it's there. He just doesn't know it. I, I don't know how much you agree with that.
1: Well, I'm, I'm one of those movie fans that goes by, if it's not on screen, it didn't happen to me. So I, I don't make assumptions of, oh, well, that could have happened off screen. Well, if that happened off screen, then I need to have a scene where it happens on screen so I can understand that. It has
0: happened. No, no, no. It has happened on screen. You've no, but I'm seen saying they haven't
1: quantified or explained or provided you any to. substance that he actually has the force. They it's just it's hinted at, and oh, it, there's whatever. a lot of conspiracies drawn. It's just it's It's coincidental details that are being tailored to that theory. Okay, I, I don't see it. I don't. It sounds okay. like you do. It sounds like you believe it.
0: I, I, I actually do believe it. I, I honestly do because I think that there are there's there has to be beings in the galaxy that are especially that you have to think the time that he lives in. When he was younger, he might have been plucked up to become a Jedi, but the Jedi Order was dead when he was a child. Um, so you have to think that the Force doesn't go anywhere. There are some people that are stronger in the Force than others. And so I'm not saying he's at, like, Master Jedi level, but he's got a little in him. That's okay. all I'm saying. All right, fair yeah. enough. I mean, he's on fucking solo. Um, next fan theory, and one thing that kind of has always bugged me and a lot of other fans is, at the end of the movie in Episode 4, uh, during the medal ceremony, Luke gets a medal, Han gets a medal, Chewbacca gets left out in the cold. Leia doesn't put a medal on him. And there's been some other fan theories that explain it away, like, oh, he was too tall, Leia couldn't put it on, so she gave him one afterwards, or some shit like that. She was, She's a princess, so she didn't want to stand on a stool, or some dumb shit like that. But there's an interesting fan theory I liked and that Chewbacca is actually a secret rebel agent the entire movie that is the reason that Obi-Wan goes to the Mos Eisley Cantina and immediately knows to go to Chewbacca remember in the other episodes he fought side by side with Yoda on Kashyyyk on the the Wookiee planet Um, so there is some some precedent there for him having some rebel connections and that would explain if he is a rebel all along a rebel agent she wouldn't need to give him a medal at the end because he's already been part of the rebellion. You know what I'm
1: saying? Well, yeah, Chewie could have evolved into that. Do you know where George Lucas got the idea for the character of Chewie? What's that? From his dog.
0: Was his name Indiana? (laughs) I don't know the (laughs) name of the
1: dog, but... uh, No, um, so I think he looked at Chewie as kind of being Han Solo's pet, and I guess, you know, like his... You know, man's best friend, you know, um, Mm -hmm. for that character, at least in the first one. It sounds like... Some more of that backstory, may have been built upon in the prequel trilogies that I try to forget exist. Um,
0: <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're not all bad. There's some good parts in them. Um, all right. So, next fan theory is the the ever popular blue milk that Luke drinks um, with his uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru in the film. You know the 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 classic blue milk, the famous blue milk, if you will, is actually uh concocted to suppress force sensitivity and that is why luke never knew that he had these powers because i mean you have to think luke ends up becoming a very powerful jedi you know if uh, especially when you see him in in the most recent star wars film how could he be as old as he is and not have any um any experiences with the force and and what's his abilities. If he is that powerful, the theory out there is that the blue milk has actually suppressed that, um, because his uncle and aunt did not want him to go down that same path. I'll buy that. Oh, uh, it wasn't in the script and it wasn't on the film, so uh, I, you
1: know. I mean, I could, uh, but there are some little. That's a smaller detail that can be embellished a little bit. I mean, the other thing you're mentioning, Han Solo having force powers, is is kind of a big thing to leave out narratively.
0: Well, yeah, I, okay. And another twist to that is if you think about it in the Last Jedi, you know, uh, Luke has he they have the famous blue milky, you know, drinks it or whatever. I don't know if you seen the movie but um he there's an animal that actually secretes it out of what's one of its udders. but in that film he has been suppressing spoiler alert he's been suppressing his connection to the force maybe it's the same thing it's the blue milk but uh anyway uh last fan theory is the famous um stormtroopers bad aim and that fact that they can't hit shit through any of the movies, and especially this one. <laughs> they are pretty bad. <laughs> but Remember, there's the, the
1: one extra that runs into the wall. Is that this one, or is that another one that plays no, the place. Trooper? No,
0: he, he doesn't run into the wall. He it's, runs into, uh,
1: like, a door-opening hatch or above him or something. Yeah, it's
0: whenever they're on the Death Star, um, the door opens up, and they're kind of trucking in, and he, he hits his head on it, and they just keep on going like nothing happened. But if you think about it at the beginning of the movie, when they, um, I'm going to talk about the very, very beginning of the movie, when they board Leia's ship and they take out a lot of the rebel fighters. They just, you know, they take them out surgically almost They very, very accurate. But anytime they fight our heroes, they can't hit shit, even at point blank range. And it kind of goes back to um, our main characters are strong with the force. We know that Luke and Leia are, and we have a there's an inkling that Han might be as well, and that's why they can't hit them. And you maybe think, oh, it's just bullshit. That's a storytelling device, whatever. But I will counter that with um, Rogue One. The blind got Chirrut, in the movie, he trusts the Force, and walks through a battlefield near the end of the movie, and trusts the Force will keep him safe. And lo and behold, what happens? Motherfucker doesn't get shot. Huh?
1: And yeah, that would probably explain how the main character, main heroes. I don't know if you noticed very poor use of cover in this movie when they're in a shootout, like Han Solo and Luke. Oh, will yeah. Just stand or Princess Leia will just stand right out in the open with their hands, you know, their legs spread and their hands, both hands on the gun, shooting straight like they're an easy target to hit, and they somehow don't get hit.
0: And it's the force protecting them. Anyway, that was all the fan theories that I had. So,
1: all right, okay, that's right, some good ones. Well, bringing a full circle from the opening of the episode, we establish, you know, it is considered today to be one of the most important films in the history of cinema, um, and certainly one of the most influential. Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. This film was amongst the first films selected as part of the National Film Registry uh, by the U.S. Library of Congress, and its soundtrack was added to the U.S. National Recording Registry. Uh, As we talked about, the score was uh, Oscar winner for the category and voted the number one film score of 100 Years of Movies by American Film Institute. So uh, this movie's greatness uh, really is is far-reaching. As we mentioned before, we can't really forget just how big a role this movie played in shifting the film industry focus from personal filmmaking of the 70s Towards big budget blockbuster event movies that it, you know are still hip and in style today, with the movies that come out today. Uh, I mean, the trend of superheroes now really has evolved from that climate that movies like Jaws and Star Wars uh, uh, help uh, create.
0: Uh, you're 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 100 correct in that it absolutely launched the blockbuster genre as we know it. In fact, those are almost the only films that are successful in the theaters now. Those more of those independent films or those personal films that you saw popular 30, 40 years ago are now ones that are, you know, HBO films or Netflix Netflix films that, you know, high production, but they're just not going to make money at the box office. Um, So it's it's the genre that Star Wars helped launch that has given that has helped deliver the industry today as we know it, um, as, as far as people want to go to the theater to see action like what this movie had and, and the phenomenon that it caused.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean this, and this is one of the high, the, the films with a high replay value that. You know, other films may work in other genres like you talked about, Netflix or being a TV series or a limited event miniseries. This, there's no denying the medium that this exists in. It is a big blockbuster event film. This type of movie demands that type of production and, and that type of platform for storytelling. Um, it helped define it for crying out loud. But, um, you know, if you if you have a, really what's... An interesting way to think about this movie. If you have aliens that came to Earth and we had to show them, say, twenty movies or fifteen movies, you know, to to that you had a pick for them to watch. I mean, Star Wars is definitely one of those movies.
0: Oh, they're doing the Space Jam challenge for movies. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But uh, you no, know, it's 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 you know that, and that's why I mentioned you know it was selected to the the National Film Registry. It really is a definitive film uh of the industry and of our culture and it it really um uh, and and i think you know that's what makes it so universal people all over the world love these star wars movies and you know we talk about you know all the different um you know this film ultimately led to two sequels a prequel trilogy a sequel trilogy and an anthology films you know like solo coming out by the time this Mm -hmm. episode comes uh, Rogue One. Uh, and not to mention the numerous spinoffs of video games, animated movies, and TV shows they've come out with. It's really great to see the, uh, uh, the franchise is as is, is healthy and vibrant as ever.
0: Oh, and of course, now that Disney owns it and is releasing movies every year, which, fuck yeah, bring it on. I, I, I love it. Um, you have a whole new generation of future filmmakers that are that can be embraced with the childlike wonder of the Star Wars saga Mm,
1: yeah and uh yeah it, it 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 really has as we talked about stood the test of time for multiple generations and and I know that when you show kids now the Star Wars movies one of the big decisions people make is do you show them the prequel trilogy first or do you show them the original trilogy and I think my opinion you have to show them the original trilogy first it makes it very difficult to go back and watch the original trilogy. If they've seen the prequel or even the sequel trilogy now.
0: No, you absolutely have to, because I know people that are in, you know, that are now in their early twenties, you know, basically kids to me. uh, I mean, they're, you know, whatever, but um, that watched the prequels first and they love those films more than the original trilogy because that's what they, they knew, they know. And you know George Lucas gets a bad rap for the prequels, but you know he wasn't trying to—he wasn't trying to cater to the fans that love the original trilogy. He was creating new fans, and, um, and that's what he did. Because even kids that are adults now that saw the, saw the prequels first, they love them, and they're going to be kids that see the new films that are coming out, and they're going to love those. So over time, it will be difficult for. Um, the original trilogy to stand the test of time. But for this, for me, uh, a new hope always will.
1: Yeah. And not only is this one of the most important films just because of what it launched and what it started, but this trilogy is considered one of the best film trilogies in history and its influence on all the great directors who've went on to make trilogies of their own. Christopher Nolan has spoken at length about it. Uh, uh, Peter Jackson with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, you know, James Cameron, Ridley Scott, David Fincher, J.J. The, J. Abrams. These are other directors who really went on to make some great work who have cited Star Wars as having a significant influence on them as a filmmaker. We talk about just how iconic all the elements and the characters are. Uh, this film made all the AFI lists. You can think of the American Film Institute uh, where they do the top 100 movies, the top heroes and villains, the top thrills, the top quotes, the top scores, the top cheers. They have all these American Film Institute lists. Star Wars ranks on nearly all of them. Roger Ebert really summed it up when speaking about this Star Wars film. Quote, Like Birth of a Nation and Citizen Kane, Star Wars was a technical watershed that influenced many of the movies that came after.
0: Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and subscribe if you haven't already. That does help us out a lot, and we greatly appreciate it. Remember to download new episodes every other Tuesday. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Bye!